This episode of Bushes Breakaway is brought to you by you. That's right. See you again. No ads today. Ad-free episode on The Athletic. Thanks to all our supporters, Patreon subscribers, and everybody who's listened to us over the past couple weeks. Got Travis Yost on today. Great show between me and Greg and Travis. If I don't say so myself. Anyway, let's get to it. Here we go. Hi, everybody. It's Mark Messier, and you're listening to Blue Shirts Breakaway, the number one Rangers podcast. Welcome to the Wicked Boy. I am your host, Ryan Mead of The Athletic, and I'm here with my co-host, Greg Kaplan, also of The Athletic. Gregory, say hello. No, yep. I'm not going to do that today. Okay. <laughs> not feeling like it. Uh, that's the show. I don't want to you. Follow me at, at Orion Mead. Follow Greg at Bush's Break. And, uh, actually, so interesting show this week. Got Travis Yost on. Travis is an absolute pro. Like... You could just get, like, hey, Travis, I need to fill two hours of show. He just comes on, does it immediately. Uh, great guest. We talk a lot of bit, uh, about COVID and the phase three start of the NHL. Uh, Got to be honest, it's not looking great, Greg. Things are not looking fantastic right now. Uh, appar- apparently, as of tomorrow, or as you're listening to this, June 23rd, they're expanding the NHL uh, rules for phase three, where they can have more than uh, eight players on the ice at some point. I know Tampa Bay shut down this week, and we talked about that. Uh, baseball is dead <laughs> forever, and um, we'll see what happens with the NBA and NHL because the NBA has their own problems with Orlando, and the NHL is yet to pick a second hub city, and we are not that far away. Uh, so, yeah, but you know what's going strong? Stronger than ever, you could say. Horse racing, baby. Horse racing. It, I'm, Ryan, I'm all the way in. I Like... <laughs> Uh, when people listen to the interview, we'll, uh, full disclosure right now, we did our Travis interview yesterday, so that's Sunday that, afternoon. That's time travel works. In the, middle, in the middle of the racing cart at Belmont. And I warned you guys before the interview started that if I started squealing in the middle of the interview, it's because I was watching a race. And not only did I win that race, as soon as we got off the phone with Travis, I immediately won the next three races too. Yesterday was the most profitable day for me when it came to the ponies. I like I how crushed. we started this podcast almost five years ago. Happy almost five-year anniversary, Gregory. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> wow. Uh, and it was a Mets podcast disguised as a Rangers podcast, but now it's a uh, horse racing podcast that was a Mets podcast disguised as a Ranger podcast. That's well, <laughs> that's the in-depth no, analysis no, you come for. <laughs> there's no Mets baseball to talk about, but the good news is, I don't know if you saw, I'm sure you saw the news today that the A-Rod, news? The A-Rod J-Lo ownership yes. group, they finally got some money behind them and it's noted horse owner. Oh, uh, it's my two loves coming together. Ryan. I can't. It, it really, it's really perfect. I really can't. Um, it's symb- symbiotic. Is that what it is? I think that's what it is. I, th- I think it's a virus. I don't think it's the flu. <laughs> the flu is the, a virus. You know oh, that. Okay, right. good. Yes. It's important to me that you know that. It is important that I do know that. Yes. Um, all right. Let's move on to some some actual news from this week, shall we? Uh, I guess. Just if a couple here or there's. Uh, I watched a little bit of the John Davidson uh, hour-long uh, season ticket holder event. They actually put it on YouTube. If you're interested in watching it, JD does an, an hour. Um, and you can go ahead and watch it. Some of the more important topics he hits on uh, is, I think one of the more important things he says, he takes a total cop out when it comes to choosing a goalie uh, for this for this short series. Pretty much uh, he gets asked, 
hey, you know, you have three great goalies. Who are you going to choose? He goes, you know, that's not up to me. That's not up to Gordon, and that's not up to Chris Jury. That's up to David yeah, but I Quinn, don't, that's, and that's that, it. That's not a that's not a cop out. That's just the truth. Like it, you could ask James Dolan who should start in goal. It doesn't fucking matter. The only person whose opinions matter is David Quinn, and he was hired to make that decision. Yeah, that's so I, I don't. It's not a cop out. It's a shitty question. Don't ask your team president a decision he can't make. That's fair. I it just it feels like. He had that one ready and canned. Well, JD always feels like all of his questions are ready and canned. He's just that charismatic. Um, the other points he made here is that Kako, who uh, will be flying back over this Friday, supposedly, with Alexander Georgiev, uh, will be playing in the playoffs uh, unless he makes the decision not to or the doctors at some point make the decision not to. But as, as of right now, he is approved to play. So we will be seeing the Lord and Savior himself versus Carolina if that does happen. Uh, another player he mentioned was Vitaly Krastov and pretty much went into depth about how uh, he, Vitaly thought, you know, he, he'd be good enough to make the league, but the league is actually much harder than Vitaly might've thought it was. And he wasn't clearly ready yet. And they wanted to develop him another way. And they think that their relationship has been repaired and they've been working with him constantly. So I think we're, we're bound to see Krastov this year. If uh, hockey does happen again next year, uh, and that'll be an exciting relationship to, uh, to watch but again, but I don't think we'll. I think we'll see Kravtsov on the roster pretty immediately, as 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 opposed to last year uh, when he got set down and then obviously went back over to Russia, came back over and ended the year in Hartford by uh, strong by having some couple of good performances. But we will, we will probably see him. I don't think for the playoffs, but at the beginning of next season. Gregory, do you agree with that? Yeah, that makes the most sense. Yeah, I think so. And then the last thing I thought was interesting this this press conference was before. Larry Brooks tweeted out that Leas will not be back with the New York Rangers. Um, but JD said, you know, they, they felt like the relationship had been repaired, that Gordon had been in contact with the, I don't know if it was the coach or the GM, but whoever the was in charge of Leas's team over, uh, over in his homeland. And that the, everything was good, and they were going to see if he can, they can get him back over. But then Larry Brooks comes out and is like, Leas is probably never coming back to the Rangers. He refuses to come back. But then all of a sudden, Rick Carpinello is like, he could still come back. So I don't really know what to believe when it comes to Leas Anderson at this point. I, I think I know what you're going to say, but go ahead. What do you think I'm going to say? Let's I, play that game. All right, I like that game. The I think in this point, you'll say there actually is no chance he's coming back. Larry has the correct scoop. But the real reason is that they were trying to inflate his trade value, and they decided... They're still trying to do that by kind of keeping that masquerade up and leaking that information to Rick. Uh, I, we don't know that offhand. We actually, it seems like we might know that from Rick, but we do not. Maybe they, they leaked that information to Rick, and then they're trying to keep his trade asset up to trade him before either the draft or after the draft. Yeah. I think everything John Davidson, I'm sure some of it is John Davidson wanting to thaw a relationship with a player where it clearly went bad. But I, I, I always assumed most of what the Rangers were saying and reporting regarding Leas Anderson had more to do with his trade value than it had to do with anything Leas was going to do for the Rangers. I don't know how many times I've said this on the podcast, and I'm sure this won't be the last time I end up saying it on the podcast. Probably not. But it does feel like it'll be one of the last times I say it on the podcast. Almost there. It just doesn't – It anyone who was convincing themselves that Leas was going to come over for training camp and do anything – remotely more than being a taxi squad player is lying to themselves this is a guy who even when he seemingly was playing well couldn't get off the fourth line in david quinn's eyes and then went down to hartford 
for lack of a better term, threw a hissy fit and went home. So I, I just I don't know what anyone was expecting for him to get more than fourth line minutes. Who who was he going to play over? We as much as we all look at Brett Howden and say he's not that good, David Quinn clearly consistently sees something that we do not. So Leas is not going to play over Brett Howden. Leas wasn't going to play over. I mean, it's not like he's going to play over Mika. It's not like he's going to play over Strom. So you're basically asking him to play over Filipito. Under what circumstance was he going to play over Filipito? And then you're going to say, well, then maybe he could have played wing. Under what circumstance was he going to play wing on that line over Kako or Howden? Or Lemieux, if his suspension is less games than we thought it would be. Or Phil DiGiuseppe, who all of a sudden was thrust into a more important role in David Quinn's offense. It's just, it, it never made any sense. Anyone who thought that him coming over for training camp was going to mean more than anything outside of the Rangers just proving he has an interest in playing in the NHL again, you're kidding yourself. And if you're Elias Anderson, why would you waste your time? What what benefit does Elias Anderson have to come over for training camp where he's going to practice for a month and then sit on the bench again? There's no reason for Elias to come over, and I think Elias is smart enough to realize that. So, yeah, I think the Rangers will continue to say stuff like, oh, he might be in our plans in the future, because the Rangers' future plans with Elias Anderson involves a trade. And in order to get any value out of a trade, you have to convince another team that Elias Anderson has an interest in the NHL. So I think the Rangers will keep saying that they have a future with Leas Anderson. They'll keep saying that until they trade him if they can trade him. We don't it, it'll be proven to be known if they can actually trade him. I have doubts. I don't think Leas is doing anything to help himself, but quite honestly, I don't know if Leas has a desire to play in the National Hockey League. So I this went about as the, the path was followed as I thought it would be followed. Some people wrote articles saying how important of a piece Leas would be in training camp. Some people wrote articles about how Leas Anderson might have a bigger role if he comes back. That's all great and good. You guys bought it hook, line, and singer, sinker. To me, this went as I expected it to go. I could not have been less surprised when that announcement came out. It's it's a shame because the one thing I, I really wanted, I wanted to see more playing time with Leas. I, I don't think he got yeah, But you weren't going to see it in the playoffs. Are you nuts? No, I don't. Like, I, if you want to see him, no, if you I, I want to see, see him come back time, next year. I don't want to see him in the playoffs. No. I, I, he's not I, I honestly, I. The Rangers have some decisions they have to make down the center, but if they want to be a playoff team next year, they can't rely on Leah Sanderson in in a top nine role. I wouldn't. That's fair. I mean, I would even. I, I guess he was he was playing fourth line minutes for a long time, but he was never playing more than ten minutes a game. I just thought I would like to see a little bit more of a sample size. But you're right. We've had this conversation on this on this podcast before. That's the second time we've said that now. Um, where Chris Chris once Chris Kreider was signed, we're now it's rebuilding's over. That's just what it is. You're ready to compete. That's what you're going to be doing. Uh, and maybe that maybe the time for Leas to experiment on the third line is just over. And it seems like maybe his time in general is over. But I would have liked to, if if we could re if we could turn back time. That was good, right? Thank you. Uh, I would like to have Leas play the third line center this earlier this year and get at least a couple weeks run there over Brett Howden, who I think has maybe negative value at this point. Actually, definitely. Fair, fair, fair being fair, after the first nine games of the season, that was Filipino's role. So, Brett Howden wasn't playing third-line center You're for right. very long this year. You're right. That, that was basically Heedle's hunting ground, and, then and rightfully so. Yep. You're right. But it, I I don't know. I'm, I'm tired of allowing Leas Anderson to be a narrative for the New York Rangers. I think I, – I personally think the book's closed. I understand the Rangers need to try and – extract some value i as fun as it was to think of the jesse poyarvi uh swaps from way back when 
Ain't happening. I don't know. I, John Davidson and Jeff Gordon have pulled a lot of tricks in their time. I don't know how you pull any value out of Leah Sanderson if you're the New York Rangers. I think at this point, you should be happy if you get a fourth-round pickback for him. I don't even think you'd get that at this point. I I think Leah Sanderson will simply be a spare part that gets dealt in another trade. And the only reason he gets included is because the Rangers wanted to open up a contract slot for someone else. I, I honestly think that's the point we're at with Leah Sanderson. And the other thing, the other thing I have note from this JD conference is that he called uh, Adam Fox Sergei Zubov, which I thought was good because we've been uh, watching the on our BSBOT series. We started rewatching the '94 Devils series versus the Rangers, and uh, Zubov is very, 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 very good. Uh, and I don't think it's fair to compare Adam Fox to Brian Leach after watching him also. Honestly, yeah, but it, it's, it's still it's never going to be a bad thing when a team's president is comparing his young defenseman to a Hall of Fame caliber defenseman. Like, yes, who that will never about? be a problem in my book. No, I think that's it for for news uh, pertaining to the New York Rangers this week. Uh, really, not much else going on. I think return to play is still in process. Even though, uh, did all the spring training stuff shut down t- today? Like all yes. of it? All all of the complexes are currently shut down. Dude, I think by next week we could have no sports period. Just all of them. I think they all get canceled. I gotta, I gotta tell you, if the NBA wants to come back, they have to find someplace else that isn't Florida. I, we talked about this last week with Jesse, and I think we, and we talk about it this week with Travis too. So I won't step on too many toes with the inter- interview there. I just, anyone trying to say the word bubble in re- in regards to what these sports teams are doing, it's not a bubble. They, no bubbles exist because you might have strict rules on the players, but everybody else involved in these properties that the, that the leagues want to use. They're not, those employees are not being bubbled. And if those employees are not being bubbled, then it's not a bubble. So I, right. if, I don't know how, I don't know how a single league could play a game in Florida right now, baseball, basketball, football, hockey. If it, the people going matter. that are just like even just cleaning the stadium are going home, it's not a bubble. Yeah. And for people who think, Oh, well, it's easy for you to say, look, guys, I had the, world's most depressing conversation with my parents this weekend who live in Florida and the three of us agreed that we are not seeing each other this year. There is no fucking chance because they can't come up here. It's not fair to anybody I interact with or anybody I live with to have two people from Florida up here at this point in time. And I can't go down there because then what do I, I like, if I go down there, I can't leave. So it, imagine having that conversation with your 60 ish year old parents where you just admit, well, that's that this year. We'll try again next year. So I don't want to hear from people who say this is an easy conversation to have. It's fucking not. It's just stupid what's going on in Florida right now. And it's not just Florida. Arizona, the test rates are through the roof. Nevada, the test rates spiked from 10, 2% to 10%. The only place where test rates aren't spiking are the Northeast because the Northeast took it fucking seriously. So it, it's... It, Look, I'm a big college football fan. I'm going to be bummed if I can't bet on college football this fall. But when 23 kids at LSU are testing positive, when 21 kids at Clemson, when 20 kids at Kansas State, these kids are testing positive and people are wondering, well, couldn't see that coming. Yes, you can. And there can. there are ways you can limit the spread of the virus. Whether you want to do them or not is your fault, basically. So it. I don't understand how anyone could expect sports to come back in this environment. The reason why we're seeing sports in Europe is because Europe took it fucking seriously too. So I, we're not Europe. We kind of gave up at around the end of April 
and said, well, it's not like we can stay shut down during Memorial Day weekend. So I guess we're just not going to be shut down anymore. And this is what happens. The, you know, you shit in your bed, then you make your bed. You got to sleep in it. That's yep. what America has to do right now. Prepare to watch it, Premier it's League. It's probably going to mean no sports. Yeah. With the exception of the NFL, because once again, I there's no I way. don't understand. I don't think there's a life event that would keep the NFL from playing. No, I think I, I've been saying this for I've been championing this this take the entire uh, Corona outbreak. It's the NFL will make people sign anything and make them play. And if they don't want to play, they'll get other people to play, and that'll be it. They will. Yep. They will play the games. Doesn't matter. I, doesn't matter who it is. People will. Be I don't. Out there. I don't see. I don't see any way the NFL closes shop this year at all. I. They'll go. They'll just stop testing people before they cancel games. Well, if you, if you don't test, then. Then. Yeah, you don't test. You don't have numbers. If it, you don't have numbers, you don't have a problem. It goes away. See, super easy. Uh, I think that's all our topics. Do you want to get to? We have a couple of four star, or five four star. Whoops! Yikes! Yikes! Ryan, five star questions. Um, if we want to get to those, anything else you want to touch on this week, Greggy? No, I, I, I just love horse racing so much. I, I don't know. I, I think I, I can't imagine. I wonder how much I would have had to pay you two years ago to become like a hardcore horse racing enthusiast. Now I know you so like, you've always liked ponies. I'm not doubting that. You've just I've always liked level. going to Saratoga, like right. the track, right? It's a fun experience and I like gambling on horses, but Two years ago, if we had this conversation, I would have admitted that my horse knowledge is limited. I could barely read a program and I would only gamble on a horse race if I was physically there or it was one of the triple crown races. Like no circumstance would I have ever said two years ago that I'd be on a Sunday afternoon gambling at Belmont when it's not even a big race day. And now we're in a point where (laughs) I'm at a point now where if I'm losing money during a race day, it's disappointment in myself that I wasn't smarter about the horses I picked. And it's more often than not that if I don't make money, it's because not that I didn't win any races in a given day. It's just that I didn't string enough races together to win. Mm. Like Saturday, (laughs) Saturday was a 12 race day at Belmont, right? Because it's big Belmont stakes day. Of course I had the winners in seven of 12 races, but I didn't make any money because the only way you make money are by hitting big daily doubles and big pick threes. That's what I learned from Jeopardy like, too. You got to play the daily doubles. Got to play the daily doubles. And if you don't hit those, you're not going to make money. That's so it. Can Jennings still be back? While it looked like a positive day on Saturday, I now live in a world where I know that if I go seven for 12, I better make sure I'm stringing those races together. Otherwise, it's pretty meaningless. I remember when the biggest thing happening in life was the tournament of champions for Jeopardy. That was awesome. Ken Jennings is the man. Um, let's go ahead and do these couple five-star questions. So this first one, well, I'm going to save Rays for last because it's going to kill me. Okay. Uh, Rangers fan 84 says, hey, well, I don't agree with you guys with everything. Doesn't mean I'm going to, not, going to, not going to listen anymore. Why can't we just all agree, agree to disagree? Anyway, I'm curious. Have you guys listened to Watch Your Toned podcast? If so, what do you think? No. Thanks, no. Tom, Dan from Tom's River. I, I listened to, to like me. 10 minutes, um, and I, I think Tony, it's cool that he's trying it, but I'm not sure he's a podcaster. He's really good at hockey. Well, we'll also see. I again, I, I've said this how many times before. Let me know when he gets to episode twenty-five. Yeah, and then I'll so take him seriously. A little sneak behind the preview here is sneak behind the preview. Uh, a, a little peek behind the curtain is we every time like a, a rabble ranger show pops up for us or whatever, we'll be like, call me when they're at episode fifty. <laughs> yeah, and then we'll I, we'll see. Yeah, I, I gotta I gotta tell you, uh, 
it takes a special breed of insanity to continue to do something for multiple weeks at a time if you're not getting instant gratification. And other, we had very low bars for our instant gratification. Yes, we did. But we also, when we started the show, we, I think I told you I wasn't going to do it unless we do it every you, week. Every week for a year at least. Yep. Like I, I flatly told you that if we start this, we're going to do this, and that's that. That was it. And here we are almost five years later. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> Kill me. Uh, yeah, I no, I haven't listened to Tony's pod. No, I'm probably not going to listen to his pod. But to be fair, and I'm sure I'm not the only person who ha- is doing this, I am so far behind on all my podcasts right now. Yeah, and same. most of the reason why that is is because just my – normal routine's been thrown off. Mm-hmm. So most of my podcast listening was done going to or coming home from work or jumping on a train down in New York City. Basically, anytime I was traveling, I was listening to a podcast. And now I live in a world where I do not travel. So I am so far behind on all my podcasts. That's that us too. I, mean, I honestly feel bad. I, you know, I, I appreciate those who are still listening. Um, but we, we've dropped a lot of listeners over the past couple of months. And that's because people aren't traveling, and also there's more important news to look at. Also, there's no Ranger hockey. But in general, I know all podcasts are down for the most part uh, over the last couple of months because of the travel. Um, but but oh yeah, back flatly, to- no, I don't have any plans to listen to Watch Your Tone. I listen to- Good for Tony. It, that's about it. I listened to the segment where he reads mean tweets, which I thought would be funny, but it just wasn't funny. They were just like legit mean tweets, and then he was like, wow, those are mean, and then that was it. Like, oh, yeah. this, this is not the Jimmy Kimmel section I thought it would be. No. Um, uh, Gunslinger2094, one of my favorite commenters. Thanks for the 94 playoff review. It brought back a lot of memories from the lack of score slash clock screen, clock screen <laughs> on how bad hockey reporting was. I was hospitalized hours before Game 6 against the Devils. During Game 7, there was no radio reception or cable TV in the hospital. I had to rely on Phil Rizzoluto for score updates. I guess that's WFAN. Uh, can you make this a regular segment during the summer months and cover a classic game or playoff series? Uh, we will be doing the entirety of the New Jersey and Ranger series and the entirety of the Vancouver Ranger series. Uh, and then we'll go from there. But after that's done, we should have playoff hockey if hockey happens. So we'll see. Maybe we'll do that. But I, I think the 94 thing is a must rewatch for Greg and I. I think in general, a rewatch series aren't that great. I think there's only one other or two other series I think we'd rewatch, Greg. But I think uh, 94 is special for us, for sure. I think it's been long enough where I'd probably rewatch the 2014 playoffs yep. and then even the 2015 playoffs. But the Rangers haven't had a lot of memorable playoff runs that I would want to go back and do a deep dive on. I mean, kind of the Mets in that regards, but unlike the Mets, the Rangers have actually been in the playoffs a bunch of times. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I would probably go back and watch 2014 and 2015, but I don't think, like, I'm not in a hurry to go back and rewatch that Ottawa series that was the no. death nail for Elaine Vigneault. No. Uh, it wasn't a long enough playoff run for the Rangers to really be worth it. Um, I want to watch the Step On series again. That for sure. That'd be fun. What, against the Capitals? Yeah. Yeah, that's 2014. Yeah, I know. but like, Was that 2014? Was that 2015? That was 2015. That's 15. That's 15. Yeah, it was 2015. Yeah, like I said, 2014 and 2015 are the other two memorable playoff years in my mind with the Rangers. Everything else is kind of just white noise. Uh, this is from our friend Michael Silvers. No question, you guys rule. Just wanted to stop by and say you guys rule. Keep <laughs> up the great work. Thank you, Michael. You're the best, buddy. Um, 
This question is from our good friend Ray, who we met uh, when we were over in the UK. Uh, hey guys, once again, fantastic work on the show. Given the difficult times that we've all been facing of late, and particularly you, Ryan, overcoming COVID and still managing to record without fail. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's a great credit to both of you. Your motivation is inspiring, no question for me, but I thought we could see if Ryan could try the old pronouncing these soccer player names. You're fucked. I just, dude, I'm gonna, I'm gonna press control and scroll up right now so I can make sure I have the big on my screen. Okay. Makes me laugh when you struggle with English names, so maybe you could try harder with these. Number one, this is a player from Roma slash Arsenal. It is Henrik Me the MK MK McKahitarian? McKahitarian. Okay. Okay. That's a good one. This next yeah. one is a player from Brighton. Uh it's Alir Jahan Bakish. <laughs> you need to you need Open up the chat and chat yeah. me these names here so I can I because I have no idea who you like Mkhitaryan. I knew who you were attempting. I don't okay, know who you're I'm gonna attempting. open up the chat uh, in in this thing where I know where the chat is. Okay, there we go. All right, so that's the one I just tried to read. A- Ali Reza Jahan Bakash from Brighton. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that player's name. So that that one I can't help you with. Okay, I'm, I'm not gonna attempt to do it. Okay, but I'm, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you drown on Here's that. Here's the one. next one. It's from uh, the Ukraine. It's Yevhin Kona Palaya Anaka. I would assume the last name is um, Kanapliyanka. Kanapliyanka? Yeah, I think that's right. All right. Um, but I, I don't know the first. Name. This guy plays for Poland. Man, Ray did some fucking work on these. I'm gonna give you the last two here, Greg. Oh, the funny I I actually know who this guy is, but no, I don't I don't Okay, this I, is I know I know Socrates just because we only call him Socrates. We gave up a long time ago trying to pronounce his last name. This thing. is Jacob with a K and it's Blatz. It's, it's just Jacob. Okay. Uh yep. Bla <laughs> Blatz- well, think Blatz Yeah, I was about to think say Blaskowski? No. no? You you're you're pronouncing too many letters there mm. for sure. There's, there's like two Zs. It's definitely like Blaskowski, I think. Uh, okay. Yep. It's just think 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 Mike Shishevsky, right? Yeah. So they're, they're like letters in Polish don't exist. They exist, but they don't exist. Got it. So that's why I'm going with Blaskowski there. Okay. But the other one is just Socrates. Socrates. It's unfair of Ray to make you say anything else. Uh, Socrates Papa Stathupolopoulos. Papalopoulos. Papa, it's probably like Papa Stathopoulos. Papa Stathopoulos. Okay, sure. Right. But gonna... everybody, I mean, it just says Socrates on his jersey. Like it's, Does it really? We, we, yeah, we, we very much a long time ago gave up trying, trying with the last name. That's awesome. All right, listen, Ray, thank you so much for uh, sending the question in. Five-star questions. Uh, you know, you can send them in. Hey, I also want to take a second. Ben Weber yelled at me last week. Not Ben Weber. Uh, ben Waters. Ben Weber didn't yell at me. Hi, Ben. Uh, ben, ben Waters yelled at me. He's like, you don't take the Patreons anymore. Listen, it's been a weird couple months. If you still support us out there, you're a Patreon subscriber, patreon.com slash Breakaway. You're the fucking best. Honestly, we, Greg and I couldn't be here without you. We wouldn't ever be to anywhere else. We would have stopped the podcast a long, long time ago. That's a fact. And uh, if you're still doing it, we don't really talk about it anymore. But if you're still supporting us, we really appreciate you. You're the, you're the best lifeblood of what we do. And you're the greatest. Um, and that's that. So with that said, there's no ads today. So transition right to Travis Yost, and then we're done with the show. Gregory, transition. 
Hey, we're back with reoccurring guest Travis Yost of TSN. Travis, thanks so much for coming back on. I love hearing recurring guests because that means you know you didn't absolutely bomb the first time. Even if it was subpar, it wasn't a bomb. Honestly, it's it's it makes us seem really good for us because you came back. It's kind of like makes us look better, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Um, we brought you on because, well, I don't know if you've heard about this pandemic thing that we've been talking about in sports for a while, but it seems to be taking over a lot of narratives again. Uh, and the, this narrative this time is that, well, the NHL has gone to Phase 2. Will we get even past Phase 2 at this point because Tampa Bay is already shut down? Yeah, I it's 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 really a weird time right now. Um, like for example, I, this past week, in my opinion, could not have went worse. I, I, like you you've got an outbreak at a camp, they shut it down. You've got I don't know the third best player in hockey, fourth best player in hockey, uh, out actually named and out and as a as a positive COVID nineteen uh, with with a report underpinning that that. Uh, some uh, potentially multiple players and staff with the Arizona Coyotes have also been impacted. Uh, and, and, you know, there, there was a lot of back and forth. I had discussion with a lot of people this week about, you know, there's kind of two sides of it, which is number one, you know, the, the, well, we kind of expected this. And I, I think that's true, by the way, I, it, the more you, again, which true for society in the, in the broader population is also true for the NHL. The more you test, um, the more you're going to find. Um, it is also true. These athletes are generally more equipped to fight this, that that we also know, um, but you know the other side of that coin that 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 just I, I I am struggling with is that's that's a lot of people number one to kind of get swept up before we even get into the actual let's call them bubbles, even though the NHL is kind of diverted a little bit from that relative to the NBA. Um, but that's number one, and then number two is like you know th- this notion that like oh yeah players are testing positive, but you know you know some are hurting some are fine but you know the mortality rates are so low for this group um you know you're you're you're, you're kind of in the clear here and you gotta you gotta push through it and you know while i i appreciate that that notion or that semblance I, I'm, I'm struggling big time with how the league is going to handle the support staff around these players to, to say nothing of the players by the way i think we i think james myrtle put together a piece this week that behind the scenes of some of the players are starting to get a little concerned especially in the united states um, and like I mentioned this on Thursday or Friday this week, but like look at look at head coaches around the league. Average coach is 52 years old. Standard deviation is like seven years. I mean, there there are a number of guys who are 60 plus. Rick Bonus in Dallas is 65. It's like the, that that is not an insignificant data point. It, it's certainly a risk that the league is accepting or you know ex- expressly or implicitly. But I I, I really. I really worry that if, if another week or so repeats like the week we had last week, um, you're, you're going to get a bigger counter push about what are, what are we actually doing here? Can we actually pull this off? Um, certainly, I think you're going to see more momentum for Canadian hub cities, um, even though that might create some complication. I think they're better equipped as well. So it, it's, you know, it, it seems like we were rolling towards a restart and it, it may be somewhat blindly, but this the last... I don't know, let's call it 72 hours or so, have, have, not, have certainly not been encouraging on that front. Yeah, and in, in that 72 hours, we actually got our first idea as to when the restart, the next phase would kick in. I believe Larry Brooks has been floating around July 30th as the proposed date at this time. Do you think that date is any bit realistic with what we've been seeing in the last three, four days alone? Uh, 
my opinion is it's going to be heavily contingent on how the league I, – I, I'll, I'll say it this way. I really don't think the league is going to be able to pull off a scenario where one or both of the hub cities are in the United States. And, like, I, I get it. The league um, – Vegas is a no-brainer location to house, house a tournament like this, certainly from an economic standpoint, certainly from an infrastructure and logistics standpoint. I mean, the, the the short list, even in, without a pandemic, the short list of places you would you would want to host this tournament are, you know, what New York, Toronto, Chicago, LA, Vegas, maybe one or two others, right? Um, it, even even Nevada is seeing an increase in in, in cases right now, uh, and uh, again, a border state to one of the four or five states in Arizona that that is really spiraling out of control right now, and I I, I think. You know, the, the league is trying to get as much runway as they can. So, like, now that we're here on July 30th, you, the calendar keeps moving to the right, right? And, you know, from a league standpoint, that's it's certainly smart, right? You're trying to buy some time. You're trying to, you know, build as much runway as you can to get that airplane off the ground. Uh, but the, the other side of that is the more you do that, the more of an adverse impact it will have on the regular season. And, and keep in mind, right, the, the following regular season, and, and keep in mind, right, that, that is a major economics question. And it, it also is we, – we, we should not pretend um, that the players' union is just going to, for lack of better words, play ball um, with, with this structure. Everything I understand has got to go to a full vote um, for, for a number of these uh, variables that they're trying to introduce as part of the phased return. And if that, again, if that, if that Myrtle piece um, and Russo piece, um, and I have every reason to believe it is accurate, that there are guys that are starting to get real concerned with, with what this setup looks like, I think you're going to start seeing possible ways that this play-in tournament, which, I, you know, I, I don't speak for you guys, but I was, I'm tremendously excited for it. I, I hope they can pull it off. I just think it's going to get increasingly difficult, especially with where we're at right now. Greg, I think you were going to mention something about Vegas City. I felt like you wanted to talk about Vegas. I don't want to cut you off if, if that's the case. <laughs> if you were here, I, I, I warned you I, guys before we started this podcast. Oh. That if you heard me squeamish a little bit, it's because my horse was doing things. I just want to say, lovely, lucky, did win. I'm a very happy camper right now. Anyway, <laughs> okay. I thought uh, I could ask my no, question I, now because I, I, I thought it was about Vegas. I, I will. I will take. I will take the lead here because we talked with Jesse Granger last week, uh, Travis, about whether Vegas can be a bubble city. It. Are we? I, 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 this again. We're just basically three guys talking about what ifs. We're not epidemiologists. We're not health officials. Anything we say is kind of just three regular dudes all digesting the same kind of information. Um, is it? Are we moving to a point now where it almost doesn't matter where these bubble cities are because just about anywhere you go is not going to be ideal, and it's also not going to be a bubble in the sense that the league would want you to think. Like even the NBA bubble, right? The big one, the one that we've all been told about. All the employees working at Disney aren't going to be following the same rules the NBA players are going to be following. So with casinos opening back up in Vegas, what makes Vegas any safer than New York City right now? Is New York City even a more viable option with the way the the rates have been going here? I I certainly think that's the case. I like you mentioned the NBA point because it's. I, I think that's a really important uh, point, at least if, if, if you're looking at it from a hockey perspective or just any major sports league. I, I think the one thing that the NBA would have kind of wanted to do over 
is to be a little bit, a little less um, direct about where they were going. Because I, I mean, let's be honest, they they clearly have a business partnership with Disney, um, and mm-hmm. and again, even if we knew nothing else, that was a very logical spot: Orlando or Vegas um, or LA. Really, those were the big three um, for the NBA. But if you know, if you look at from the NBA perspective, it's like, all right, we can build this bubble, we can put these incredible rules and infrastructure in place, and I mean, we are a true business partner with Disney anyway. So this is a logical, no-brainer business decision, and we think from a from a public health standpoint, we can put the best controls in place here relative to other places. Unfortunately, they could not have picked a worse city or state uh, in the entire country right now. I, I, the Florida's growth is out of control, and it's not just Miami-Dade County. It's um, I, you know, it's uh, the, the the northern and western counties. Uh, Tampa, St. Pete's been hit hard. Orlando's been hit hard. Uh, and, and so you, you're already starting to see that even the players you need for the NBA are starting to raise more questions about what are we actually doing here? What does this look like? Uh, and, and bringing that to your Vegas point, like, you know, Nevada has been fairly well insulated, I think, um, relative to some of the other states. They locked down very early. Um, it, 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 I think I think Las Vegas proper um, was basically in a lockdown for almost two months with, you know, a very small number, at least under stay at home, with a very small number of court cases for obviously proportionally to a place like New York. But to your broader point, like the, the one thing that we do know, at least with mitigation, is it's really the Northeast states because they were hit so hard um, initially and they put so much more control around it um, that are actually looking quite good now. And so I think it is a very fair question to ask. Um, would a place like New York be better situated than maybe a place like Nevada, which is bordered by Utah, where it has a heavy growth, Arizona, which has basically explosive growth, Carroll, California has high growth, and, and, and it's not like Nevada's been in the clear either. So I, I just, you know, again, it's, it's, very, it's very hard um, to really make a, a predominantly health argument about where they should go, because if it was a health argument, they wouldn't be playing. So if the driver of the decision is really the economics, the secondary piece is, okay, now we need to put all the rules in place, then yes, Vegas doesn't make sense. I just, I think it goes back to the broader question of should this even be, should we even be going down this path, right, from a league standpoint? Like, is it better to just put it all into the 2020-2021 season um, and hope that, you know, a, a, you know, three more months of basically spool of time uh, helps this pandemic across the country? I I think that's something that the NHL is talking about regularly right now. Well, I, something I really want to ask you, uh, before, from before you mentioned, uh, athletes are probably better suited to fit to fight this disease, right? We don't, we still don't know a lot about uh, COVID in that way and what how it affects different people. But I had the pleasure of uh, t- having the COVID experience, at least in my household. And I still have what would be called uh, lingering effects. Like, my right side is still messed up, man. Like, I don't know what it is. It's just weird sometimes. I just am bruising. Not to get to me here, but, like, I'm nowhere close to a professional athlete, but I'm a healthy 30-year-old, like, who was in okay shape. Again, not an athlete. Not even close. I can only imagine that, like, there could be some circumstances where these players get infected, and then they have these lingering effects, and then that knocks them out. And then what's the point of playing in the first place? This has to be something... Or a discussion that at least that these athletes are having in the back. I mean, I know, like you said, the Myrtle piece this week, but this has to be something they're going to take into consideration when a vote comes up. Because even though they're they're probably the best suited people on earth to fight it, you still don't know what complications you're going to get at 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 the end of the day, for lack of better words. 
I, I think that is such an important point. Um, it is true. So when we say athletes are better equipped, it, we're more broadly saying, right, younger people are better equipped, um, people in better shape, people without comorbidities are, are better equipped uh, to fight this from a true mortality standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. So we know, I, I mean, that, that, that's one, that is, a, that is a, a fact at this point, that younger people will, you know, the survival rates are right. almost 100%, right, if, if not damn near close. But we have zero understanding of what the medium and long-term ramifications are of this, um, and and even and even to your even to your earlier point, uh, you know, it, with you know, it, especially with people across New York and in, in let's say the greater Northeast area, at this point, I think everyone either has been directly or indirectly um, touched by this, especially in New York State. I mean, my so you know, example I always tell, especially you know when I'm traveling, uh, my uncle had. Uh, coronavirus back in early April in Mineola. And, uh, you know, this guy is 50, mid-50s, incredible shape, unbelievable cycler, um, and it put him on his ass. I mean, there's no other way to say it. That's a quote, not a paraphrase. And, and, it's, and it, just, it just continuously raises the specter of, like, these, these people we know that are not professional athletes, they're not 23 and, and you know, world-class trained, with you know just a complete slate of health, you know slate of health for, for all intents and purposes, um, but there are many many people we know who are were in very good or great shape or um, you know are, are younger and you would think would be disproportionately unaffected by this. And the opposite has been true. I mean, we we that's just reality. I mean, we've had the time now to experience it, especially in the Northeast. And and again, the the the, the big thing that I keep coming back to, and I think we're seeing this in college football circles. You saw Kansas State close their camp. Clemson had 23 players, I think, test positive. Number one, like, you obviously care immediately about that individual's health. But especially with, you know, 18-, 19-year-old professional college athletes, you start asking the question of, like, all right, well, who are they living with? Oh, they're living with their mom and dad, and they're 56 and 58. Oh, uh, the grandma actually stays with them, too. She's, you know, she's got a, mm-hmm. uh, an adjacent bedroom there, and she's 82. And it's like, that. I, I am – Glad is not the right word, but I, I do not envy the decision makers for that because that you you that is a risk that is very hard to quantify, even though you absolutely can qualify it, uh, and you have to live with it if this is the direction you go down. And there is, you know, I regardless of I don't I don't know how this so much of this became politicized, but I think the discussions about lockdowns or no lockdowns or masks or no masks or however that's you know evolved over time. You're, you're just continuously trying to balance a seesaw. Now, clearly, you know, I, I, the half measures taken in the United States, especially in early March, uh, disproportionately and unfavorably affected where this country is today. That is that is a fact. Um, it is a fact that the face masks um, not not being worn on a regular basis has been a detrimental driver. And, and, and even though that seems so simplistic and obvious, there's that that has become somehow a point of discussion. Um, but like, I, you know, I, the, the only thing I can keep coming back to is like, OK, we know older people and we know people um, with underlying health issues or, you know, they, they don't have that that slate of health um, that a professional athlete would have are, are definitively at risk. And guess what? There are many, many, many hundreds upon hundreds of people. Um, that surround these players either directly within the NHL or indirectly with their families. And I, I don't, you know, the league, the league hasn't been very public about that. I think they're obviously trying to smooth over what, um, you know, they're, they're trying to get buyback from the players union, which is the ob- obvious uh, starting point. But 
you do wonder about kind of the, the downline ramifications of what that looks like. Yeah, we're we're also I think the big question the NHL hasn't really answered yet, mostly because they haven't answered yet. It's it's easy for us to sit back on June nineteenth, June twentieth, when the report comes out that the Lightning had five players test come up with tests that were positive. So they shut down the facility and they have to clean. That's all well and good. We're in we're, we're in phase two. But what if the Lightning are entering game two of whatever series that they're supposed to be entering? And an X amount of players again test positive. Not only do those players have to quarantine, do you delay like would the league have to delay a game? Does the entire team have to then take a test? Do, do their entire opponents have to take a test? The coaching staff, everyone, like it, it it's a question we've kicked the, the can on because we haven't gotten to that point yet. But honestly, what the hell does this league do if someone tests positive when we return to action? Because you can't just I, say I, it's just that one player. You have to test everybody. Correct. And I, I think we just saw I, – I don't follow tennis aggressively, but I think we just saw an example of that where a match was canceled or stopped um, because of a positive COVID-19 test um, for a player. And, and, and I, that, that is a completely fair question, right? Like I, I do think – I don't know if it's – I don't know if it's pie in the sky. I don't, I don't know what it looks like. Surely they've had internal discussions about what, what they would do if and when, and I should say when an outbreak hits a team in the middle of play. Uh, but I, I, I really think that they believe that they can put such stringent controls and, and again, to use a, let's say, a, a figurative term, a bubble around these players uh, to keep them safe. But I, I just I, I feel like that is an impossible ask, right? I mean, we, there, there are hundreds of players that are going to be funneling into these two hub cities. And as far as I'm aware, there is not a single place in North America, unless you are going to the furthermost out east, you know, millimeter of Prince Edward Island. Um, beyond that, like the vast majority of North America has varying and competing rates of coronavirus, and some have done better and some have done worse, but they all have it. And that, and I don't know how you can keep a virus out of these basically two cities and all of these, like, you know, and we've only, we've only seen semblance of, of the return to play plan. We think Vegas, for example, is going to be one of the two hub cities. Like they're, they're talking about MGM resorts is bidding this and whatnot. And it's like, do I really believe that if they house 12 teams over at the MGM, their subsidiary resorts, that there's going to be no, no contact with any surface player, another human being, um, outside of, again, this figurative bubble, I mean, that's just an impossible act. And the minute you say, well, yeah, that's obviously not realistic, is the minute you also say, well, that's that's the risk, right? Like, there is just inevitably going to be some sort of interaction where this thing can pass. And, again, I, I think the league is trying to minimize, not eliminate, but it, and, and they can't eliminate it. So minimization is the best they can do. Uh, but what does it look like when it happens in the middle of the playoffs? I, I have no idea. And the reality is, uh, especially with, with the controls that we've seen, you know, in the private sector, in sports leagues, whatever the case is, even if it's, two, let's say, two players test positive on a given game day, the rest of the team is going to need to go in isolation. I mean, there's, there's not a single way. Even if, even if you tested them that moment and 21 other skaters, hey, tested negative, there's no way in good faith the NHL can send that team out and say, hey, look, we know these two guys just tested positive, but these 21 are good. Because we know enough about the testing, especially the early stage testing, to know that it's fleeting. And I, I just I, – I, I don't 
that is the 900 pound gorilla in the room. And I think, I think people, I think what you actually might end up seeing in some instances, you might see delays and in other instances, you might see, you might see forfeitures, especially if they don't have, you know, if they have all of two months to get this, to get this really launched, I, there, there's not going to be another way around it. The, the most Ranger way ever to win a cup was everyone had to forfeit because New York somehow avoided, <laughs> avoided COVID. The biggest asterisk of all time. Um, you talked very quickly about, oh, sorry, go on. No, I felt like that, I feel like that'd be more fitting for Toronto because the ribbing back and forth of oh, this is the first cup. Sixty-seven. <laughs> you're you're correct uh, in that. You mentioned testing a second ago. Um, you know, we still don't know if testing is is highly accurate or not. Now, you've been following this more closely than I have. I you've been doing a great job on Twitter following the COVID nineteen. Uh, literally every piece of news seemingly from it since the start of it. Um, testing still isn't one hundred percent accurate. So even if we test a whole team, like you said. We won't actually know if everyone has it or not because it is sort of fickle and we don't exactly know when the prime testing period is. Am I am I correct in saying that? I know we're not we're not doctors here and neither are you, but I feel like you'd you'd know more yeah, than I would. Yeah, no, I mean that's yes, but the, those have been the broad conclusions that they're not 100% accurate. Most tests aren't for that matter. Mm-hmm. The the problem the, the problem is twofold. One, the error rates are higher, um, especially on some of the earlier testing that was delivered or manufactured in the United States. The error rates um, especially for false positives, was higher than what you would expect for an average, you know, viral test. Um, that's number one. But number two, and I, I think this is an important thing. Like we learn something new every week. New York Times uh, reproduced a great study. I want to say it was at a Harvard Med. Do not quote me, but it was just this week. New York Times came out and said, "Hey, look, uh, what we see is that antibodies to this virus for people who contract it can only, you know, in some cases, only last for a few months." What do you do with that? I mean, that, that's, that's, that's an ultimate game changer. I mean, again, I, I, I hesitate to use the name, right. but we do know one player who tested positive, and that was Austin Matthews because it was reported. And, like, what do you do if you're Austin Matthews right now? So you just tested positive coronavirus. Um, presumably, and God willing, he comes out the other side, feels great. Uh, and then he's now accepting residual risk of, I don't know, three months or six months from now. He can also contract it again. And it's like, okay, yeah, Austin Matthews, young, great shape, whatever the case is. But again, Austin Matthews, what about his head coach? What about the assistant coach, Brendan Shanahan? I mean, think about all these people around a a player every day that are twice or more of his current age. I I don't, that, that, you know, you, you mentioned, um, um, I have two questions that I, that I think are really going to hurt the NHL today and tomorrow. And it's not their fault. It's just reality. Number one is the point you made earlier about what does it look like when there, are, when there is an outbreak in the middle of play, when there will be, and that's not an F, that's a one. Um, and, and what do we do? Uh, and, and the second piece off, off the ice is how is the league going to protect, number one, the players, but even putting the players aside, if we assume, okay, the majority of the population, this is, this is, these are guys where mortality, mortality rates don't even exist. What about all of the support staff, the executives, the coaches, you know, the, 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 anyone who can try and get the logistics, people who work in the two arenas, all of these people who are going to have touch points in and around this, this event are, are assuming, even if it's only very, if it's negligible in some cases and less negligible in others, they're assuming some degree of risk. And, and I don't, and that's not just true for the individuals, it's true for the league if they're paying them. And I, I, I think those two questions, just have not been answered yet, and I don't I don't know when we are going to get a good answer, unfortunately. Now, Travis, when we first reached out to you to come on the pod, uh, it was before this 
new spike. And I'm sure we would have touched on coronavirus in some way, shape, or form, but it wouldn't have dominated the conversation like this. We probably would have focused on you did a pretty in-depth series for TSN looking at the odds and the percentages of each team in their play-in series game. And now that, of course, includes the New York Rangers and the Carolina Hurricanes. Where we sit, without digging deep into the numbers like you did, it seems like if the New York Rangers were going to play in the play-in series, it's hard to imagine them getting a more advantageous opponent than the Carolina Hurricanes when you think of higher-ranked seeds. But your numbers still favor the Hurricanes, from what I remember. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, we should, look. I think I think both things are true, right? Like we we shouldn't. I think this is a very interesting matchup for the Rangers and for the Hurricanes, and I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. But Carolina's a very good team, right? Like I we I think New York was probably a little bit better um, than they actually showed in the standings, and I think some of that was really baked into the first half of the year. Uh, I, I think the team, especially that top line, and really more broadly their top six. We're, we're coming into their own as a, as a very unique weapon for a Rangers team, obviously with a, a trio of capable goalies as well, um, where they were competitive, right? And I, I say this a lot. It's true for most of the play-in teams, say maybe Pittsburgh. Um, most of the play-in series teams have some obvious, even including Montreal and Chicago, they have some core strength that allowed them to stay competitive in the standings. And in my opinion, it's, it's fairly obvious what the Rangers is, right? I, it, I, Artemi Panarin is my heart favorite. Thank you. Um, I Thank put you. him over Leon Dreisaitl. I think he indisputably was the best skater in the league. Um, but, like, so they've got this great, great, great top six. And really, really were able to offset some disastrous defensive play. I think that might be a little kind, but uh, disastrous <laughs> defensive play by really evolving into a – one of the league's most deadly counterattacking teams. And it, and it really reminded me in many ways of, of that Colorado Avalanche team a few years back where they didn't have to puck a lot, and it was very obvious, you know, that team had similar blue line issues, um, similar depth issues, were a transition team just like the Rangers are now. But they had guys at the top of the lineup that could skate white the wind, and they were complimented by guys who could finish. Um, and, you know, between Artemi Panarin and what he did with Ryan Strom and, you know, Mika Zibanejad's continued evolution in that lineup. I mean, there are a number of guys who really excelled in a, in a lineup that you wouldn't have guessed in year one. And it's a huge compliment, especially for a coaching staff that I, I would say was fairly constrained with what they had available on the blue line. And let's be honest, Jacob Trubabet didn't exactly pan out this year either. Very honest about uh, that. They were able to... They were able. They were able to stay afloat, um, and and that's and that's and that's a testament. That's a testament to coaching and the players. I do think this matchup is fascinating, though, from the standpoint of it is you are getting two of the extremes, right? The Rangers are a poor puck possession team. They they play way too much in the defensive third. They put a lot of burden and stress on their goaltenders, and it's, and it's, it's flat out cost them games this year. They are also a great counterattacking team. Carolina could not be the polar, you know, a bigger polar opposite, right? They are one of the most heavy puck possession teams and play a substantial amount of minutes in the offensive zone. Um, not a lot of finishing talent in the lineup uh, outside of their first line, um, but it's very hard to get that puck from that team. Um, and and, and, and that, that creates challenges for certain teams around the league, great teams and poor teams alike. So I think from a matchup standpoint, like, yeah, sure, uh, we expect Carolina to have the puck in the majority, majority of the games, but can the Rangers do enough? on the rush, on the counterattack from their top six, and can they win the goaltending battle, which that might be, you know, of, of, of the many interesting points in this series, 
the goaltending question in, in New York, which has not been a question in uh, 37 years, is actually a legitimate question uh, this season. Do you take into account the fact that the Rangers have just owned the Hurricanes over the last, let's just call it the Henrik Lundqvist era, but even this year, where Lundqvist only got two of the four starts against the Canes, Rangers still went 4-0. And in two of those games, the Hurricanes blew the Rangers out of the rink when it comes to Corsi. Rangers were no competition. And still the Rangers had the scoreboard, that, and that's all that mattered for them. Do you, do you take into account any of that, or is it just kind of happenstance at this point? I, I do. I, I think it's for me. It's more so a tertiary component, though. Like I, I do when I would, especially in intra division matchups where you can get five or six in a clip. Um, I, I do. I do put stock into it because it's it's enough time. It's enough video to see how the playing styles can impact one another, right? And and not all teams are created equal. This isn't you know. It, it's not. We don't have twenty three robots out on the ice where the numbers just dictate the results. Uh, but, I, but I will say this, right? Like, you can look at the New York-Carolina series and be like, oh, yeah, New York was in a really good spot this year. Carolina, of course, publicly or quasi-publicly complaining about the playoff format, I, I think in part because they were drawing into a series against the Rangers, a team that did have the better of them. Uh, but, you know, I, I could spin that back the other way and be like, hey, let me go find you a bunch of games with, with, from Carolina this year where they looked phenomenal against elite elite competition teams like Tampa Bay and, and, and Boston so it's like okay am I seeing it just exclusively a matchup dichotomy here where the Rangers just just match up really well against Carolina um, or is it possible that there's a little bit of randomness in there and Carolina at the end of the day is still a plus 28 29 goal differential team on the season and they're very good right and maybe both of those are true I will say this one thing, though. About three years ago, I remember writing this article for TSN. Um, it, within the division, teams that won the season series, there was a positive relationship in that team also winning a corresponding playoff series. Now, it wasn't a significant correlation, but it wasn't immaterial either. So, again, I think that I kind of, even if it's just a, a, a slice, right, I think it speaks to the playing styles and how teams can make other teams comfortable or uncomfortable depending on how they play this is uh, great travis thank you so much you've been so gracious with your time today but i have one final question um for you and let's say everything goes according to plan and somehow nobody in the nhl uh has an outbreak and everyone plays all their games who is your uh prospective stanley cup winner this year oh man it's a great question um So I, I the first the first team that came to my tongue was Tampa Bay, and I'm like, you know what? I still have that taste in my mouth from last year against Columbus. Yep. And I had been so hesitant to get on the Lightning. I obviously the Lightning are an elite team. There's no doubt about it. But for a couple of years, I had been a little hesitant to get on the Stanley Cup wagon. And last year was the first year I'm like, dude, this team is legendary good offensively. Uh, Columbus is scrappy, but they'll take care of them in five games, and then uh, you know an, an unbelievable sweep. Um, and one of the one of the most interesting components, I think, for picking a, a, a cup favorite is I think Tampa Bay is the best team, but I think Boston is the second best team, and they have to play each other in the Eastern Conference. The third best team, assuming they make the right goaltending decision, which is a common conversation, I think is Vegas. Vegas doesn't have to play either of those two teams, uh, and and if if depending on how the playoffs shake out. Vegas, you know, Vegas, like Tampa Bay and Boston, will have to, will have to play in series by. 
Uh, and depending on how that, that round robin pool looks, they might actually have a fairly easy, or they should have a, a relatively easy uh, true first round matchup as well. So if I were to pick a Stanley Cup, I would go with the odds makers, um, as lame as it is. I think they're two and three in, in Stanley Cup odds, but I would say Tampa Bay and Vegas um, as, as my pick. And I got to be honest, um, I don't think a lot of people complain about that as a Stanley Cup final. No, I don't think so. Uh, Last question for me, Travis. Uh, how afraid should anybody be of Carey Price, and why is the answer not afraid? Carey, <laughs> <laughs> uh, K- you know, you know what's crazy <laughs> about Carey Price? I know you want to just was... be brutally honest with us for a moment, but you well, realize I, that it's, it's like it, it, I get it. Carey Price. If you look at Carey Price from 2013 to 2017, you can make the argument he was the best goalie in the league. You just you just could. And now over the last three years. He's been around a league average starter for three seasons. And some of that is Montreal is like New York, a transition team. The average shot against the Canadian goalie has been a little bit more challenging than, than you would if you were goalie X around the league. But, like, I also don't have a lot of time for, oh, he's in such a tough situation. Someone just pulled 20 games of footage of what Connor Hellebuck saw behind that Winnipeg defense. That was a complete joke this year. And Connor Hellebuck, which in my opinion is the easiest trophy of all, okay? he's going to win the Vezina running away. Like, don't necessarily just unilaterally blame bad defense for necessarily shaky goaltending. It's, we, we have seen instances in which goaltenders, especially goaltenders in their prime, Henrik Lundqvist did it for how many decades? I mean, I, the guy was the ultimate eraser in his prime. Um, but, like, I, I just, you know, Montreal is another great example, though, of a team where I thought – their core strength, which is they've got a, a top six that, you know, runs up 60% of the shot differentials over the course of the season. Montreal was actually positive and even strength goal differential this year. Like, you would have loved to see them in a different matchup if you were looking for an upset. If not for the one team in the playing round that I think is definitely better than playing around quality, and that's Pittsburgh, I think Montreal is in, is in a brutally, brutally tough matchup, and I don't think it's going to end very well. Travis, you're the best. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you can follow Travis at, is it just Travis Yost? Travis Yost? I have it up here. I should probably just look. Yeah, it's just Travis Yost. And uh, you can see him also on T. Read him also on TSN. Travis, thank you so much for all the work you do, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks, Travis. You're the best. Okay, that's today's show. I want to thank Travis. I want to thank Greg. You can follow me at tw- at Twitter. You can follow me at Twitter. Nice drop, Ryan. Uh, at Orion Media, you can follow Greg at Blue Shirts Break. And we'll be back next week, or actually later this week, with another BSBOT Games 3 and 4, Devils Rangers 94. See you there.